Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me today is the host of the Colby Told Me podcast, Colby Mack. Welcome back to the podcast, Colby. How are you doing tonight? Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Colby Mack, and I'm good to be back on the Movie Marathoners podcast. How long has it been since I was here last? I think you came in March. We talked about uh, Pixar right around <sighs> when Onward came out. That is very, very correct. Before the world went to shit. Yeah. <laughs> or like right at the beginning of the world. Yeah, that was the last movie I saw in theaters. So, man, oh man. It's been a oh. crazy amount of time. Too long. I'm glad that that was your last movie because I unfortunately had a double feature of The Hunt and Bloodshot. So, oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> well, this week we will be discussing the latest Spike Lee joint, The Five Bloods, which hit Netflix on Friday, June 12th. I believe this was a film that was always going to come to Netflix, though it definitely was going to also be in theaters. So it's a shame that we weren't able to check it out in theaters, but it is now on Netflix for everyone to view. As usual, we'll warm up with our spoiler-free review of the film, and then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And lastly, as always, we'll finish with our point two section where we talk about some of the other things we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of The Five Bloods. Four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. The Five Bloods stars Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, and Chadwick Boseman. It is written by Danny Bilson, Paul DeMeo, Kevin Wilmot, and Spike Lee, and it is, of course, directed by Spike Lee. Black G.I., is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the Soul Brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. So Colby, this is already just buzzing up Oscar talks. Uh, critics are loving the film. There's talks about Best Picture, Best Director, and Del Roy Linden is a... Uh, front runner for best actor. But let's talk a little bit about what we thought. Um, what are your thoughts overall just on the film? I mean, I, the moment that I finished watching it, I was at a loss of words because I was bawling. Like, um, the film was overwhelming. And, you know, I think we're going to hear a lot of timely and a lot of like quick reviews and reactions of it. It's, it's, it's pretty uncanny how perfectly this film came at a time where we needed a voice to kind of sound off on a lot of these issues and it just so happened to come in the moment of just i mean surmounting you know uh, civil unrest in our country i mean we're in a unique time where we have this global pandemic on top of increased visualizations of police brutality and social injustice this movie obviously has been in production you know way before all this is happening but it's it, it that that's pretty much a testament to this is something that's been happening for decades for hundreds of years since America's greatest sin and the fact that this story kind of crystallizes a lot and uses it in a different perspective where we're focusing on these five men you know I'll include you know um you know Storm and Norman played by Chadwick Boseman and how Spike wants to use this veteran tale about these men that just like the film says War never stops. And these men are still battling it. Um, we go on an interesting character journey. Um, and Paul, played by um, 
Delroy Lindo. While this is an ensemble picture, oh, this is pretty much his story. Yeah. Right? Like we're 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 seeing a lot through his lens and he is he I don't want to say he's carrying most of the weight, but my brother is flexing and it, it's <laughs> it's really glorious. Um Spike is now entered into what I like to call God direction mode. Um, he is now giving carte blanche. Um, it's unfortunate that it took until just two years ago for him to kind of get Hollywood vindication uh, with his well overdue Oscar win. Mm-hmm. But he's now in a place, you know, cinematically where with the support of a studio like, ne- like Netflix and all eyes available to watch this, he's doing whatever he wants. And he is really flexing himself in regards to some of his best direction in his t- entire catalog. And the man has directed a lot of stuff. He's not just do the right thing. I mean, obviously, his screenplay won, you know, for for uh, for uh, you know for Black Klansman, and this screenplay is equally like as great. The performances are fantastic. The sound, the ballsiness of the cinematography to give us a film that flips through multiple different aspect ratios, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the score of this film, and just obviously the commentary on society as he sees it, and the way that it ends up matching up to what we're still experiencing contemporarily. It's a really beautiful movie, one of my favorite of the year, and I'm so happy that I had it, and I'm really proud uh, to stand by it. It's awesome. Yeah, the the thing that comes to mind the most with this film is that it is just incredibly ambitious and bold, and that's not you know unique to this film. It's very emblemic of a lot of Spike's films. I think he's always incredibly ambitious and bold in what he wants to do and what he wants to say with his film. I really want to just kind of jump straight into this and talk about spoilers pretty quickly because there's a lot to dig in, as you mentioned, and there's a lot that, uh, quite frankly, went over my head. So I would I would love to really dig into it with you. Um, I think like a lot of Spike films, he will tend to, if he has to sacrifice one thing, he will sacrifice uh, more traditional storytelling over um, thematic content and including something that he wants to include. So there's a little bit of, uh, I would say, maybe messiness, Um, certainly not sloppiness, certainly not like lack of intent or anything like that. It's it's a very well-made film, Um, but there's certainly some narrative moments that are a little questionable throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, I completely agree with you. I think the uh, the acting is absolutely excellent, especially from Delroy Lindo. And it's interesting that you say it's an ensemble piece. Because I felt like, well, I mean, we mentioned it already that that Delroy <laughs> Lindo he takes the bulk of the screen time and the bulk of the characterization and everything that I think this film is most interested in talking about is through that character. And I think it's just a journey to watch him kind of change on screen. And you know, he's not so much changing, but your understanding of him as an audience member is changing. And I, uh, it's a really fascinating film in that regard. I mean, it, it's. It's such a good time, and um, I mean, we're we're gonna get through it. There's so much to break down, and I can understand because I will say I've I have heard I don't necessarily want to call them laments, but I will say this: you would probably need to ask yourself how many Spike Lee films have you watched, right? Mm-hmm. If it's if if it's like two or three, your general sentiments about Spike Lee going in before this film are probably gonna be that same thing. I think it's interesting because there are other auteurs that I think take a lot of other um, more artistic, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not necessarily licenses, but like 
they they are given a, like a longer leash to kind of play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have certain quirks and isms that some people pacify or accept or whatever, right? Like you look at Quentin Tarantino. Um, I think people can make up their mind pretty quickly based on one or two watches of his films and say, I'm either into Quentin or I'm not, right? Right. And I think that's it goes for several different types of directors. Look at Wes Anderson. His films are very distinct. And you know when you're <laughs> watching a Wes Anderson film, right? And I will say that there are times that inside of his films, he takes liberties that don't necessarily follow convention. But what I've noticed is that he gets praised for it, right? Because they are a little bit more acceptable. Yeah. There's reasons for that. And I don't want to necessarily say that, oh, people pick on Spike's films because he doesn't play by the rules, right? Because he's black. We know that he, at least in regards to like, you know, mainstream Hollywood and especially with the Academy, with him not playing by their rules, he was shunned to a certain degree. And some of the things, like I will say this, he's a scatterbrain in person. Like he's scatterbrain, right? Scatterbrain doesn't nearly me bad. Like it's the same thing that I keep trying to push um, in a lot of my different reviews is that different doesn't mean bad. It just means different. And I think that there's a way that critics, you know, movie reviewers and stuff like that can take a look at something that they may not necessarily understand. Instead of saying it's bad, it's different. It doesn't work for me, right? Like what I'm looking for in this type of narrative, because honestly, Spike will intercut archival footage in the middle of a narrative, in the middle of a scene where it almost seems like it takes an audience, an audience member out of the film completely, right? It's like, I have now moved from enjoying your story and your world and I'm put into a history lesson. But that's the way that he chooses to tell his stories, right? Um, he likes playing with different mediums and putting it all together. If it doesn't work for you, hey, it doesn't work for you. Um, but it doesn't necessarily make it bad, but it definitely is different. And he's scatterbrained in nature, so he is taking a lot of unique things and putting it all there. For me, it overwhelmingly works. But I can definitely understand why when you say messy, I don't interpret that as like, oh man, he's saying that this film is like shit, it's all over the place. Not at all. What you're <laughs> saying is that, you know, all right. Give me my central character, right? Let me go on this progressive journey with him. But when we have like, you know, this uh, action scene that comes cut in and then we have this other scene that comes cut in and then this comedy can feel like it's coming out of nowhere. Just know that like from an artistic perspective, that is exactly what Spike is trying to do. It's not like a mistake and like not getting to his point. His point is a little bit of everywhere. That's just how his brain works. I find beauty in it. Some may find that they need to have more, you know, uh, not as much patience or tolerance with it. <laughs> no, that's a really, really good point. And I hope that the way that I explain that uh, is how that came off in the sense oh, that you, I... I will say this. You are doing a better job than most. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that... Even in uh, a lot of his other films, like even the films that I really, really love from him, uh, I think, you know, my favorite film of his is Black Klansman. There are certainly some things like, you know, you you get that very ending kind of whiplash at the end of Black Klansman that a lot of people and even on my first watch of that film, I was like, whoa, this is really jarring. But then, (laughs) you know, that is the point. That is what he is trying to do. So, um I the thing that I really like about looking at Spike Lee's films, and uh, I, I just last week did one where we looked at five of his older films, and um, I really like that even when a film doesn't work at all. So something like *The Five Bloods*, uh, or no, sorry, uh, what is it? *The Sweet Blood of Jesus*. Okay. Um, so I watched that. <laughs> Very bizarre movie, but yeah. it's bizarre and captivating 
even if it's bad, because you know that there's purpose behind what he's doing and what he's trying to say. And it may not all come together and it may not all, you know, be something that you look back on and be like, wow, I really went on a journey that I fully understand in this last two hours. But it is a film that is saying something. And I think that is true about this film. But I mean, obviously, this film is significantly better than Does We Blow to Jesus. It's, um, it is very just well made. And you can really tell that there's a budget put into this film. It's a gorgeous looking film. And it really is just pretty enjoyable for the most part, too. Uh, mm-hmm. I certainly think that the first half is more enjoyable and, um, better than the last half although that may just be because the last half is a little more focused on paul's journey and mm-hmm. what ultimately he's trying to say but let's yeah. hop into that colby why don't you just summarize your thoughts and um give a score out of 10 and then we'll go straight to spoilers yeah i mean essentially you know spike lee delivers a timely commentary that is very much needed contemporarily but focuses on what what does a unique family unit look like that you weren't born from the same moon, but your journeys are so similar and you've experienced so many things together that you become brothers? And how does that last in the face of, I would say adversity, but essentially in a world where you are not looked like as a first class citizen um, and you're asked to do things that you wouldn't want to do, but you don't have a choice. It's a powerful message. Um, it is very blunt. Um, it's beautifully depicted, in my opinion. I love the performances. I am going to be rooting hard for Delroy Lindo um, up until the Oscars, whenever those decide to uh, yeah. uh, to come. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm rooting hard for Spike Lee to not only get a uh, a nomination for Best Director, but to hopefully win. We'll see what the rest of the field looks like. I think that this film cannot go, um, you know, uh, uh, celebrated enough uh, when the Academy Awards come around, or I will be. Taking notes. <laughs> I really, really will. Um, I find it deeply enjoyable. And, and I will say this, like Jordan Peele's Us, I think that there is so much to to mine from this film. There's a lot of subtext, too, that I can't wait to rewatch to see what else I can um, have illuminated to me. Awesome. And uh, out of 10, what are you going with? A 9 out of 10. So I uh, agree with a lot of what you say, Colby. Um, I, again, I'm just probably a little cooler on the film just because it, uh, you know, I tend to like my films a bit more conventional than um, I think Spike likes to make his films. Um, and in a lot of ways, like the reason that I like Black Klansman is because it is his most conventional story where he, there's an actual a story in that film and there's, you know, clear antagonists and everything about that film feels uh, much more shoveled into a more traditional uh, narrative. So for that reason, I just think that this film doesn't work quite as well, but uh, it's still a great film. Definitely would recommend watching. Um, It's on Netflix. It's quite long is the other thing. So sometimes it, uh, you know, I think with what's great about Jordan Peele's Us is that, well, actually that's pretty long too, but that feels Mm -hmm. like it kind of flies by just because um, it's got that kind of like high octane thrills in a way that uh, this film doesn't always. And just the, the, the nature of that genre of the film, too. So, yeah, yeah, certainly. So, um, but definitely I would give this a 7.5 and a strong recommend. And it's uh, definitely, again, of the Spike films that I've seen, it's it's uh, up there with some of the best. So with that, let's go ahead and hop into spoilers. I'll say spoilers for The Five Bloods starting now. That's my secret, Captain. 
I'm always angry. All right, so Colby, I think the main interesting thing that I want to kind of start this conversation on is this Paul character and really what's going on with him. Uh, I felt like when I was watching the film, Paul's character reminded me of the experience that I had when I watched the film Loose, which I know is one of your favorites Mm. from last year, where every five minutes in Loose, I thought I understood what was happening in the film. And I thought, okay, this is what the film's trying to say. I'm on uh, Loose's side. I, I don't believe the teacher. And then you find something else out and it's like, oh, no, wait a minute. Now I believe Octavia Spencer. <laughs> and I felt like it was very similar in this film where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I understand what Paul is representing and what's going on here. And then you get whiplash and he's, now he's a Trump supporter. And, uh, but you also find out that he accidentally killed his, uh, Chadwick Boseman's character. Uh, you know, he, he hates his son, but he also loves his son. There's a lot of conflict in that character. And I, uh, really want to hear what you have or what you think is uh, going on under the hood there. Yeah, I mean, with Paul, we got to understand that he is, when Delroy Lindo's characterization of Paul, I find to be really unique in that we don't get a lot of depictions of these type of characters, especially not African-American characters that don't fall into these caricatures, right? Mm -hmm. Paul is very multi-layered. Just like the men who chose or were forced to serve in a war that nobody wanted to go to, there's already that complex issue, right? He is battling with PTSD and has refused to get the therapy that he needs to really deal with a lot of his demons. And that's hence the entire reason why he agrees to go back, right? One, we'd have to kind of ask ourselves, like, well, why did these men wait so long? You know, they were essentially getting clearance because their goal was to try to find a fallen, you know, a fallen, uh, you know, soldier of theirs and brother um, to be able to bring him home, right? Mm-hmm. And they got it, they had to get clearance from the Pentagon and from, like, you know, from the, you know, from the US and everything like that, and even from the Vietnam government. Um, and it, one, I found the film very interesting seeing the Vietnamese perspective of this war, right? Like, keep in mind, they don't call it the Vietnam War. In my American mind, I, oh, they wouldn't call it that. Yeah. <laughs> they call it, and, and he, makes sure to, he makes sure to include that in the film, the American War. Yeah, it's clever. That's very, very pointed. And like, it, it kind of, I was like, wow, that really took me aback, right? And understanding how this man is trying to deal with his PTSD, I mean, there's a great scene early in the film where a one-legged, you know, um, boy who's begging for change comes to their table and you can see it trigger him. It starts out very, very small and it just intensifies. Like, can you get this boy? Can you get this fucking boy? Like, it, and it, it's, it shows that he's unstable, but not like where he's wearing, a, you know, a tinfoil hat and spreading peanut butter on his, like, you know, on his face and wearing a diaper or anything like that, right? Right. And I've <laughs> seen those type of depictions done in this joking manner in other forms of media, Right. This seems very, very honest. In regards to what we find out that, one, I, I kind of forgot that with this story how, oh, wow, this is, in, this is in present day. This is in a Trump world. And they bring up Trump by name. And essentially, we cut into real footage of a black Republican <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. with a sign to say, you know, blacks for Trump. And it's like, oh, so we're to believe like this is that same guy. And I will say- the political argument doesn't go that deep, right? And I think that was done purposely because it could go much further and remove itself from what the goal of the film was. But I think for Paul, it adds another layer to his character. And we ultimately see this man that is broken, 
trying to reconcile with his demons, but we're, we're thinking it's something of, I want to bring back my friend. And he says like, yo, I have ghosts. He visits me every night. And we just think it's because they were so close. But then we know by the end of the film, no, this man accidentally killed him. And the fact that Norm, played by Chadwick Boseman, was able to forgive him. And it was beautiful that he got that hug from him. And I love the fact that Spike got the hug twice. Like we felt it once and we felt him pulling it again. And I found that to be so strong. Paul is battling Otis. Otis essentially is, is Paul's antagonist. I almost thought that this film was about Otis and then Otis would be like our central mm-hmm. character yeah. and then everybody else. But it's Otis who's supporting Paul. And then you have Melvin and Eddie and themselves and they're also supporting everything. And the fact that we have to bring Paul's son to kind of help trying to underscore how because of what the world has done to this man, it's affected him from being a good husband and especially from being a good father. And because he didn't have love in his life and he had it all this hate because it was fueled in this world that it asked him to kill, he did not know how to be able to give love to his son. Um, and in different ways that he tried and failed, it, 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 Paul is, I mean, I cannot wait to rewatch this movie so I can look at it again. I mean, what I like to call the, the write-on monologue. So right after, right after Marvin Gaye's, um, you know, um, what's going on uh, plays, it goes to him in the jungle by himself. He's left the rest of his, his friends because he wants to get the gold. And it's, it's, it's not even about the gold, right? They already found Norm and his bones, right? right? Yeah. It's not even about the gold, but it's that, it's, it was still that demon that was attached to it. Cause that was, that was Norm's, you know, you know, his testament, you know, let's take this back to our people. Let's, let's make this our reparations. And it went all the way up to him being in the jungle alone, losing that goal to then come to that realization. It's Norm's. You can have it. And then ultimately, they come to a point where we near the end of his life to be able to have that reconciliation with Norm and Norm forgives him. I thought it was beautiful. It's beautifully performed. I will say that in the third act of the film, it can sometimes it can feel a little long in that third act, right? Because mm-hmm. we have we have our characters separating. That's why I'm not a big fan of like having people separate because you can kind of feel that a little bit. But I still enjoyed it. It worked so well with me. And Paul, man, he goes on a really interesting journey. And um, he, I know a lot of Pauls in my life. These men are in an age where, and let me just say, they look great for damn near 70 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so much so that Spike Lee asked for permission to believe that a part of the story, when we go back in time, we're not de-aging. We're not getting younger actors. You will accept this flashback with these men at their current age, but you know what they were then. That's crazy. I don't. I try to remember of a film that's done that, and I don't know of one off the top of my head. I think it does a really good job at also kind of idolizing that point period of time in their life in a way that mm-hmm. you know was kind of before the the loss of Norm and before the years and years of what followed after uh, the Vietnam War. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a really interesting decision too to just make it the exact same actors. There no de aging whatsoever. Uh, it threw me for a loop the first couple of times, but yeah. after that, it was a really good way to just kind of make that feel like that was something that they were still holding on to. And yeah. they were also kind of making it this almost unrealistic thought and, uh, idea that they're kind of holding on to. And in the same way, I thought that casting Chadwick Boseman was a fantastic choice. Oh, yeah. uh, he's just an incredibly charismatic person. He's freaking Black Panther for crying out loud. Um, and he just plays this uh, very like impossibly perfect leader too. Uh, and it reminded me of 
kind of a, a merging of the the two ideas of of leadership and the the thing that still kind of throws me off is this idea that Paul is a Trump supporter and like is there something that Spike is saying about that the the plight that veterans who were abused poorly after the war kind of fell into this uh sense of being ignored and being hated and how that attributed to the success of Trump versus what these men are suffering now um is is there do you have any insight on that I I definitely want to rewatch for that um I don't want to say that it wasn't handled well I just feel like that I was I definitely had my 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 thoughts kind of off of that mm-hmm because it comes up and then we really don't get it again until he brings out the MAGA hat. And like I made sure I, took, I put him out. He like, you got a damn MAGA hat? And it's like, well, you would know. I mean, if he was at a Trump rally, that's the, like that's a part of the uniform is that. I would say this because there are black conservatives that are out there. And, and, and keep in mind, like before Trump became president, being a Republican wasn't necessarily – like there was a difference between being right. a Republican and being a Trump, Trump supporter. I've grown up with conservatives and Republicans and a lot of Republicans are single – party, you know, single issue, you know, you know, party people are multi-issued, right? If someone's pro-life, I can't knock them for that. And it's like, yo, I don't care what, what else they do in the party. As long as they're pro-life, yo, they're pro-life, right? It's the same thing in regards to for, especially for a lot of, you know, uh, for a lot of veterans, they want limited government. Well, you're not going to get limited government, you know, coming from the left. You're mm-hmm. going to get that coming from the right. So if that's the basis of what you believe in, and this is the person that's representing your party, they got the, the that got the nomination, then that's who you're lending your support behind. It's when it starts going into those Trumpisms of where it starts deviating, right. right? It's like, unfortunately, we're at a point, even within our country now, that your your alignment to that party speaks volumes that you pacify everything else. I tweeted out earlier, it's like, you know, if you can ignore racism because of something else, that still makes you a racist. You know, right. like, it's like your inaction is a part of what is causing all this turmoil. Um, I So I really can't say... If it was done in great effect, the Trump supporter part of it, um, it's something that kind of washed over me and I'd made a note of it. So I am eager to rewatch it so I can kind of like really settle on it on it more. I don't know if being the Trump supporter played as much of a role as what it did in regards to the film. Because ultimately, I was on a journey with Paul into how is he going to reconcile the demons that he's battling? And I don't know if his being a Trump supporter added to that. That's an interesting point, yeah. Because yeah. it, it definitely didn't create division amongst the ranks because that could have been a conversation that could have, you know, sped on the entire time. Yo, like, th- but I think that would have turned it from a film about, you know, their journey into a film about politics. And I don't think that's a, that was the film that principally Spike Lee was trying to make. Hmm. It's, no, that's a really interesting insight. I, yeah, I didn't, I, I hadn't really thought about that. I think I was like kind of focusing so hard on that because I knew that, uh, Spike's uh, last movie, The Black Klansman, was very much about politics and very straight one to one about uh, white supremacists uh, now and white supremacists back then. Yeah. So the other thing that I really liked about having that kind of, I, I guess, sort of characteristic of Paul is that it made each of the individual characters feel very like unique, different types of. Uh, aged veteran black men in a way that, you know, you very rarely get a film that has even that more broader archetype. But now you have Mm -hmm. each of these individuals who's kind of dealing with their own thing and here for their own different reasons. Um, I think the 
Trump thing may have worked better if it was a character where, you know, it was um, not Paul's story so much and it was like the focus mm-hmm. was Otis. Uh, I think that would have been an interesting to kind of explore that on a side character. I guess it's it's yeah. very muddled in my head because it's also the character that's going through the inner turmoil and everything else on screen. Mm-hmm. No, I can definitely see that as well. And, and, and I think it does play more when we they kind of get entangled with, I don't know if they're Vietnam police or not, but they're definitely bought by um, John Renault um, at that point where you know that he has, I mean, and that's, and that's the thing. Like, so we had this film just on its face. This is a, a treasure hunt movie, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy that they're supposed to be going to, to broker the money that they're the ones that can be able to flip the gold into cash and he double crosses them. Right. And that's not like, even like, Oh, I almost forgot. Like there's this, like this whole nother, like this plot. Um, I could have even like not had that in the film and be absolutely fine with it. Cause for a while I forgot about it, you know, but I knew when they were in the jungle and they had first got to the goal and then you see, you know, like, you know, you know, several yards away, we look over the shoulder of a a Vietnamese person and sees them with guns in my mind. I'm like, okay, at some point they're going to catch up to them. And I just need to know if this is a double cross, you know, by John Renault. Obviously, Paul sniffed it out from the beginning. He said, I don't trust this. I don't trust your lady friend from Otis and stuff like that. You know, you're a double crosser. And we just think that this is his, you know, his PTSD playing tricks on him. But it ended up bearing out that that was the case. We're glad that there's a little bit of, uh, you know, vindication in in the fact that Tran, you know, um, who who we find out that is Otis's, uh, I don't call her mistress. She was a whore, you know, um, during the Vietnam uh, Vietnam War. (laughs) And then Otis, you know, has a daughter that he wasn't aware of, right? I did get, I, I kind of stumbled a little bit because like she looks so young, uh, Tran. <laughs> and I was like, yo, how old is she? Because he's supposed to be like, you know, over, he's he's definitely over 65, right? Yeah. Now, one we have to realize, the Vietnam, the Vietnam War like spanned years, right? Like, <laughs> like <Yeah>. years. <laughs> it was a very, very long time. And they've obviously been there on multiple tours. So I'm just going to say that. It was in the later part, like the last time that he was there and, you know, took advantage of these. And there's there's a very strong likelihood that woman probably was 15 years old at the time. So is she like a very young looking late 50s? Okay, I can deal with it, <laughs> you know, but that's yeah. just how my mind works in regards to how do I want, do I believe in this world? And anytime that I work with a film like this, do I believe in the world that the director has set up, the director and writer? Do I believe in the characters and their journeys? Am I entertained by the by the action and how these scenes are put together? And ultimately, the message that it's trying to deliver. And it achieved all four of those things for me. But yeah, I think, because I mean, look how important that hat was, you know, to that Vietnamese person. Like, like it meant something to them. Like, we know what, when I see MAGA, I know what that means to me. Imagine what the world thinks. And I think that's why he wanted to make sure to use that prop. I Like I said, it, it may have played better to be on someone else's head, right? Maybe make Melvin. Uh, you know, a Trump supporter, right? Yeah. And then let that be, let that, let that be the comedy that we can kind of pull out there to constantly pick at his, you know, his views and like, you know, defend them and stuff like that. Cause I will say out of the four that we get that are alive, I feel like Melvin and his backstory is the weakest. Yes. Yeah. Cause we got, we, we understand Otis and his motivations and then ultimately, you know, what he finds when he arrives. Obviously we understand Paul, even Eddie, we understand, right? He's broke. And he's been trying to play, and like, and we completely get that. Um, oh my gosh, that scene with the the minefield. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was not prepared for the amount of gore in this film. I had no idea. It was. I, I would say this, this movie is not for the faint of heart. No, there's there's a couple really just brutal parts. I mean, we're in spoilers here, so assuming everybody who's listening has seen it or is just listening for some reason. 
But yeah, I mean that that landmine scene is gross. Um, yeah, you know, I when I was watching this and he's kind of going through, uh, he being Otis when he's going through and kind of hovering over and looking for all the gold with the land uh, with the um, metal detector. I kept mm-hmm. thinking, oh, he's gonna he's gonna get a bomb. There's he's yeah. gonna step on a bomb. He's gonna explode. And so I'm tense that whole time, and they're just happy mm-hmm. and whatever. And I'm like, okay, okay. But then, yeah, something is gonna disrupt this. Yeah. <laughs> and so then when Eddie starts slowly backing up, I was almost. Oh, yeah. I will say that was done. So on a scale of one to ten, that little moment in the scene, like, oh, I was like, as he's walking back, I'm like, damn. And it goes on for a bit too long. Yeah. Like, I wish it was a bit more a bit more abrupt because if it would have caught me off guard it would have been that much more impactful, right? But it's like, it's taking like 30 seconds and he's walking backwards more and more and I don't understand why because naturally somebody wouldn't walk. Like if I'm engaging in a conversation with you, unless I need to go like take a dump in the trees or whatever. Like, cause then that makes sense. Like I'm gonna go take a dump, but y'all are wrong about this goal. This is what we're going to do. But Yeah. But like, I knew it was coming. So it did, it did kind of, I don't say it undercut it, but it took away the sting, you know, from it because I, I was expecting it. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And I think that's, that's sort of just some of those, there's a couple of those in that movie where mm-hmm. it's just like, you, I know where Spike wants to get. And yeah. in order to do that, I don't think he's as concerned with how to get there in the same way that somebody who is more in line with uh, like a direct narrative approach might do it. Mm-hmm. You know, the same thing with like, I absolutely love the David character. I think um, Jonathan Majors crushes it in this, oh, you know, gosh. especially after the last black man in San Francisco. I think he's two mm-hmm. for two. Fantastic performance. But he comes out of nowhere in this film. His introduction is super abrupt, just like, oh, I'm. I'm in Vietnam now. And yeah. when you think about it, it doesn't really matter, but uh, mm-hmm. it is sort of a little off guard like that. Um, but in the same way, yeah, the, the landmine, when he step, you know, it's happening and it's like, okay, I, I get it. Uh, and, but then once it happens and then you have the whole scene with uh, David also stepping on the landmine and the, Ooh. the Morehouse speech and all of that stuff works really, really well. All the tension from that's like, I will say like that scene, it's like, while that beginning part was like, oh man, I wish Eddie, like, I wish, I wish it played better. It completely wins yeah. itself back because that, you know, grabbing on the rope scene between what Paul is doing and then David trying to psych him up, you got this, and like doing like everything, like that Morehouse speech, and then having, you know, you, I mean, you got, you know, um, the Lamb team, which I will say, they don't, like, were they essential to the film? No, but I think it does. I wonder if they're a real group and it, like and it, and, it, and they are trying to understand like how like doing landmines is like a really bad thing apparently like in regards to you know like war like you don't want to do that because they, one they're still there and that's they're going to yeah. try to clean it up. So imagine <laughs> there's a civilization that has had to live on after the Vietnam War, literally terrified that at any moment these decades old landmines can go off. And obviously we've seen how it's like hurt that community, right? Um, so I think it's important to highlight that where they came into the film. Did I like it? It was all right. You know, could it have been greater? I'd have to f- try to figure out how. But that scene, the fact that they come in, they're right there, they kind of sweep it a little bit, and they set up, and everybody has to pull it. And I'm like, there was so much tension because I did not know what was going to happen. Like, I had no clue. And I was, I want to say, on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I'm at home, you know. <laughs> but I like, like, it was, it, the tension was palpitating. And um, the fact that, like, he, that's the first time we see him hug his son. Yeah. You know, um, and I thought it was like really, really powerful. Um, a well done kind of like, let's save this from the beginning of that scene. Uh, it was great. And then you have the cicadas too that are just adding to that noise. Oh, oh my man, gosh. So cool. It is like, it's like, you know, like these cicadas. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, man, you don't got these at home. We're not at home, son. <laughs> like, 
it, it's oh man, they, like I've, I've wrote down there are so many quotable lines in this film, and just understanding like how different it was in this in this world. Like I, one, I'll say this, you know, um, a couple of scenes like really stuck out is the um, hello black GI that actress and what was written in there really underscored how the mental war was because you have these black GIs, right? And they're fighting a war that they don't believe in, but are forced to fight in for a country that says, hey, fight for our freedoms, but those same freedoms you're not entitled to when you get back home. Yeah. And they're t- and you're hearing this from the enemy. And the enemy essentially wants you to turn your guns on your own troops. And they considered it. And Norma's like, we're not going to do that. Yeah. And that scene, you know, um, was tough. And the scene when they find out over the radio that, hey, your country just shot Martin Luther King Jr. And what that does to them, the, the, the quandary, why are we here? There's a fight that we should be fighting back home. And just them shooting off in the air. Like it's, there's some really powerful messages and like, she's spitting facts. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> you know, you represent 11% of the country. Yet you are 30% here. Why? Why are you three times more than your white brothers? And like the way that they try to appeal to their cultural heritage, black GI, soul brother, and playing, you know, black music like Marvin Gaye and stuff like that. Like it's, it, it's pretty, it's pretty intense and it worked so well to me, like how they had to live through that for years. It really reminds me of that one scene in, I believe it's the Watchmen series where they oh fly yes. all of those papers over the, uh, I believe it's in World War One. the uh, like all the, the black officers that it basically says, yeah, why are you fighting this war? Mm-hmm. We have no, like, why are you fighting the war for people yeah, who we have don't no give a shit with about you? you? Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's gross. It's crazy. It, it, it really, really is, man. And I forget what, one, if you, I'm trying to remember, like history was one of my favorite subjects in high school. And it's like, I feel like the Vietnam War was two pages in the textbook because no country wants to celebrate their losses. We didn't win, folks. You know, mission was not accomplished. We were there and in school, I didn't know why we were there. It's like, we were there, we tried to do the right thing and it didn't work out. No, we were, and come on, we were responsible for some heinous shit. The archival footage that's intercut all throughout this film I was not prepared to see that. I feel like I've seen it a very little bit in other forms of media. And like one, that one little video of the Vietnamese person being shot by another Vietnamese person and seeing how that blood gushed. Oh, I didn't know. That was harrowing. Bro, I, I literally like I had to pause for a second because I'm like, holy shit. I was not expecting that. And I didn't even know that blood from your brain could do that. Like yeah. it, did, it looked not real. But however, I believe that's actual footage. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've. I've seen that um, that image before, but I've never yes. seen the video where it actually just follows him until you see the it, it comes out like a fucking fountain out of his head. It's it, it is, is messed up. I've never seen an actual human being no. bleed like that. No, uh, it's no, it, terrifying. It, it, it really is, and to see what we as well as because it's like weird. I, I know more about the Korean War only because of Mash. Like that's <laughs> it. <laughs> like that's how I learned about the Korean War. But like understanding that we had. The Vietnamese that were, there were some that were on our side. Yeah. And then there was obviously the Viet Cong that we were fighting. And what did that do? That civil unrest in that own country, right? And you you see it kind of come up every now and then. You'll kill my mother. You'll kill my father, right? It's tough. This this movie is really layered. It, it's, it's complex. It's not straightforward as like probably how some people would like it to be. 
but I, I haven't I haven't let that take away from its impactfulness. Man, there's like so much I can say about this movie. It is, it it really is. It's really blunt. Um, like I said, I, I was I was sobbing at the end of it, and I'm I'm you know it's interesting because like they got the money out right, like somehow they made it work. I mean, they lost so many friends. You know, Melvin, you know, um, sacrifices his life for Otis and jumps on a grenade. Um, Eddie obviously steps on a mine, and then you had this brutal just shooting of, of Paul, but I'm glad that Paul was able to get the reconciliation that he need and, and be forgiven, right. And accept the forgiveness for him. Um, and then he him, him leaving the letter to his son, David and David getting a sense of peace from the father that he missed out on, you know, um, the war took his father away from him. Um, and the fact that Eddie was able to take his portion and like in the most timeliest way contributed directly to the black lives matter. Like you would think that that scene was added in like a week ago. Right. Yeah, like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy because like, you know, like the movement is at like, I don't want to say it's apex, but I feel like the the black lives matter movement is at the strongest point that it's been since its inception. Right. And this movie crystallizes like the entire point of it. We have been fighting too many battles for a country that's not fighting for us. And the black lives matter movement is trying to do whatever it can to highlight enough is enough. Like we, we need systemic change and we just can't throw money at it. Obviously money is great, but action has to come with it. And I think that this film is going to propel a lot of people in the audience to one, be convicted, you know, like it was hard to watch a lot of these scenes really, really tough. And I'm never going to forget Paul and his journey. I can't wait to go back and kind of relearn some of it so I can kind of like fully kind of peel back some of the layers. Um, Cause I think the Trump thing, you know, I, I want to, I, I really want to kind of like understand it more, but man, it's, it's, yeah, I haven't felt like this in a while watching a movie. Yeah. It is definitely one of the uh, most complicated movies I've seen in a long time. And certainly yeah. from a characterization and thematic standpoint, just yeah. really trying to figure out what's going on there. Uh, in response to the uh, kind of the, some of the criticisms that you had with the Lamb characters, I think I agree with you. Um, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was that it's not just Americans that are in that Lamb organization. You know, it's led by a French woman, and then you've got a Finnish guy. And I part of that I think is just because those are the nationalities of the act, uh, actors. You know, it was really great to see the Finnish guy again. I'm Finnish, so I got really <laughs> excited when I heard him actually <laughs> speak Finnish. Um, <laughs> was it Se- Seppo? Seppo, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he he plays um, one of the clans members in Black Klansmen yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. But there, there. I wonder if there's something just to the internationality of that, and kind of the Americans facing their Americanism internationally and you know i think when david meets them for the first time and um i believe it's uh seppo that does say to him like yeah you guys back at home elected some idiot fucking americans um Mm -hmm. i've never had that experience when i've been in finland or abroad but i always have people ask me did you vote for trump or you know what's it like there what do people think of trump back home and and all this shit and um I think it's really telling that there's these international, the international presence in this film and how Americans are kind of trying to cope with that after what they've done in Vietnam. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I feel like the moment that these four men return, 
to Vietnam, you have some Vietnamese that almost like applaud them because they know that, hey, you were black Americans. It's not because of you that war started, right? Like, and like they've come to like terms with it. You know, like they are embraced to it in a sense, right? right? You have some that obviously on the other side of it lost family members at direct, like they don't care what GI it was, you know? Um, and the same thing like internationally. I think on, on that front, they're more of like, because of Trump, we now look at you very different. We had our opinions of you before. You have shifted and become something else now. Yeah. Um, because Trumpers are a strong vocal minority. Right. And- yeah, having having them, and I think I think Hetty is a a little interesting piece because like she seemed like she was really cool, and I don't know if she was just playing you know like coy or whatever. I mean, obviously she had like a little you know she had Seppo to, to kind of have, but like the way that she was flirting with David in there, I was like you know what's going to happen, and then obviously like nothing really came up, and like I, Seppo was very aggressive, <laughs> and Hetty <laughs> yeah. you know Hetty was just like you know just being cool and stuff like that. Um, and then they had to kind of get out there, but then when they're all tied up and everything, she's like, I wouldn't fuck you, you know, if you're the last man on earth. And I'm just like, that kind of came out of nowhere. Like, yeah. you understand David, David's conflicted, you know? But yeah, like it, it's, I get what they were doing with their, and like I said, if it's to highlight, you know, the need of like this group or a group like it in real life that is going in and trying to save, you know, communities from these landmines, from these wars that a lot of these communities didn't ask for, these villages didn't ask for the war. You know, um, it was something that, the, you know, that that the party at that time, you know, kind of forced upon them. And it's like our we are not responsible for our government, but our government is the face of us whenever we're traveling. I mean, when I was in Europe last year, I didn't feel it, you know, but then again, I think I was in countries where I wouldn't have like I was in London and, you know, and, and I was in, you know, Italy and I was in France. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that, you know, but, you know, maybe they just didn't say it to me. But like, I'm also a black guy. So maybe they're like, ah, you know. We know that you're not an issue. We know we know that for the most part, black people didn't vote for Trump, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because even even David says it. He's like, you know, he, he stands up, puts his hand up in the air. I can speak for him. We didn't vote for him. Yeah. <laughs> like, but then also at the same time, we know for a fact that like there was a small percentage of black people that did. But it's like it's whatever. So it that is interesting. But um, that, how that international element and then espousing that from John Renault's character and like how he kind of like comes in twirling his mustache at the end of the movie yeah. and stuff. So. <laughs> It's it's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think with that, why don't we uh, just go ahead and move on? Um, yeah. I mean, we could probably talk about this movie for another hour, but I, you know, there's a lot. So yeah. um, maybe the best thing to do is to just watch it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to watch it again because I will say a, a lot of the back and forth in this film is like you have a you have a narrative film, you have this interjection of these archival footage, and then you also have like essentially a textbook history lesson where you have a character, you know, um, voice, and then you hear images on screen of Christmas addicts and all of these central figures, these central and prominent figures throughout American history. And it comes by really, really quick. And I think it can be jarring for some people like, whoa, yeah. I don't know like what I'm doing. Cause it does. Like, and the, Cause then you'll get like the date and time and you're hearing like, you know, I mean, at the end of the film, hearing that Martha King speech, you know, a year in the day to when he dies, like it's, it's nuts. Right. Yeah. Talk, you know, commenting on the, on the Vietnam war. That is a lot for people. Um, so I completely understand some of those folks who just feel like this feels messy to me because I don't know where my focus is supposed to be when I have so much stuff coming at me all at once. Yeah. You know, but um, I definitely want to watch it again, see if I can kind of slow it down and just let it wash over me because it, it, it was a, an enjoyable experience for me. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So Colby, I'm sure you have, like everybody else, have plenty of time nowadays. So uh, what have you been watching? Oh, everything. Uh, <laughs> actually, Narrow it um, down. it's crazy. Yeah, um, I watched another Spike Lee film um, in preparation for um, another podcast that was on called Re- Required Watching with my best friend. And it was Spike Lee's very underrated film that nobody knows about called Bamboozled. Huh. It's a film that came out in 2000, and it had Damon Wayans in it, Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, it had Michael Rappaport, Tommy Davidson, Savion Glover. These are big names, especially yeah. on the time. Yeah. And I'm like, why didn't I watch this movie then? One, in 2000, I was a teenager. I had other things in my mind as opposed to movies. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> um, and rewatching it, when I, well, I remember seeing scenes of it. Watching it now, especially in the time that we're in, it's like, damn, man, like his Spike's mission hasn't changed and it hasn't needed to change because America hasn't changed. Essentially, Bamboozled is about a black um, TV writer who is unsatisfied with his job and wants to get fired instead of quitting so he can be able to like, you know, get his, you know, get severance or whatnot and get, un- you know, uh, unemployment or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he... Because his boss, Michael Rappaport, says, we need a blacker show. He works for a TV network. So he says, all right, I'm going to pitch a blacker show. I'm going to pitch a minstrel show. The new millennium minstrel show. <laughs> and the white executive loves it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, yeah let's do that. Let's do that. Let's, let's make it blacker. He's like, yeah, we're going to put them in blackface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the blackface. Let's do it. Like, let's make it even more blacker. And it's the satire on essentially a television network that fully embraces a new millennium menstrual show where they pick up two performers put them in blackface and what it does to society like the show is embraced it's fully it's about cultural appropriation it's about how hollywood views what being black is um it is a very blunt movie and does a lot of the things like what what i like to call those spikeisms there's a lot of it there so i think it's an interesting look at what systemic you know uh, oppression and racism in Hollywood is that if you're curious, that's a good watch. Bamboozled. Awesome. Is that how does that uh, compare to something like Do the Right Thing? It's right there too. Yeah, they're 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 very similar. I mean, it's crazy. Do the Right Thing is even you know as timely as the Five Bloods because right now we have a country that is it's divided. Um, you have folks that don't understand their microaggressions when it comes to race, right. and you know how you have characters that quote unquote, don't like black people, but have, you know, posters of them on the wall because to their minds, they're different. Right. But like black people can only be special for what they do for a white person. Right. right. Can you sing? Can you dance? Can you be great? Cause if you're regular, then I don't like you. I don't want you around. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's really interesting. So like, I mean, yeah, definitely bamboozled was uh, something that was a recent watch and um, I'm trying to think if I watched anything else. Man, it's so hard. I've been watching so much stuff. It's like, I keep forgetting what I've watched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, unfortunately, I watched Artemis Fowl on Disney Plus with my daughter. <sighs> That's what I'll say. We are doing oh, a review of that next week, and I am oh, gosh. I'm worried. <laughs> I've heard <laughs> nothing but bad things. So You should be. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well... If I survive, I will be uh, doing a podcast on that next week. So uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah. But yeah, so it sounds like, uh, did, where do you watch Bamboozled? Is it somewhere accessible? Oh my gosh. Um, 
That was the thing that I found most frustrating about doing uh, the Spike okay, rewatches. Spikes, is that so? Spike, you know, a lot of Spike's film, and he's done so much stuff. It is not readily available everywhere. I will say this new Black Lives Matter collection on Netflix has several Spike Lee films. Yeah. Up. Um, it has Do the Right Thing. It has School Days. It has um, Malcolm um, X. She's got to have it. It's got Malcolm X. Like I mean, and those are great. But some of his other lesser known films, yeah, they're hard to catch. Um, I had a friend of mine send me a link, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, so that is Bamboozled. Uh, hit up Colby's friend to get the link, and you can check that one out. <laughs> <laughs> so I checked out the Hulu miniseries Miss America. Please join me in welcoming Phyllis Schlafly. They say that women are like tea bags. You don't know their strength until they get into hot water. We need to talk about the threat of the women's liberation movement. So let me be clear. I am not against women working outside the home. That's their choice. What I am against is a small elitist group putting down homemakers. They want to create a sex-neutral society, which will mean that women are going to find themselves with two full-time jobs. So you need to tell your senators you want them to vote no on this Equal Rights Amendment so we can have a country that we are proud to leave our daughters. Oh, okay. Have you seen that one? I haven't, but I've heard I've heard good things about it. That's with um uh, Kate uh Kate Blanchett, right? Yeah. So this is about the fight for the Equal Rights Act in the 1970s, uh, which would have made it federally illegal to dim- discriminate against sex. And it shows the followers of uh two groups of women. One of them supports the ERA, and those are the feminists that kind of led the civil rights movement for women. So really big names like Gloria Steinman, played by Rose Byrne, and Bella Abzug, played by Margot Martindale. Uh, But then it also follows this group of housewives that, for some reason, opposes this bill. They think it takes away from women's what they call privileges. So the privilege to be a housewife or the privilege to not be drafted by the army. And uh, so that main person that leads that is Phyllis Schlafly, and she's played by Kate Blanchett, which just first off, Kate Blanchett on TV. Uh, <laughs> no, crazy. The golden age of TV, for sure. Um, I think she's really, really incredible in this. Uh, she holds her face in this way that makes it look like somebody who is trying to exude confidence, but they're just barely holding it together. So there's this like smug expression, but you can also tell that behind the smug expression She's masking this extreme insecurity and this faux confidence, and I don't know how she does it, but you just watch her and you know exactly what that character is thinking and how she's feeling, and it's amazing to get that on TV for nine hours. Um, but it's, it's just a really good show. I think the the writing, the acting, it's phenomenal. Uh, it doesn't feel like a show that is must-watch television in the sense that it doesn't feel like after the end of one episode, I have to keep going. And part of that is that each episode is kind of uh centralized on a single character and it jumps over large periods of time sometimes it jumps a year or two years it's all about just ratifying this bill but i really like that it investigates what type of person would choose to take the stance against the era like what type of woman would do that and it also points out the hypocrisy of the Kate Blanchett character that's like she's fighting for this thing she's outside of the home she's not being a, a housewife she's teaching women how to you know pass bills and how to 
right hmm. legislation and all of this stuff. And so she's very clearly a feminist. She's just misguided. And I think that's it's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting, very bizarre that those characters even existed, but very crazy yeah. to watch that on screen. Um, but then on the other side, I think you also have this show that investigates different types of feminist players. So you've got yeah. Elizabeth Banks, who plays a conservative feminist. And then you've got this character played by Margot Martindale, who represents this uh, aged radical who, at, when she was younger, was really um, radical and uh, at the far left and actively fighting for things. And then as she's been in the system, she's been pushed towards the center by years and years of just fighting within the system and having to play by those rules. And so you see, and the show explores the idea of either, you know, standing firm on your ground and wanting to push your entire platform and never wiggling versus having to actually play the system and compromise things so that you can get small changes. Like, you know, maybe the entire bill doesn't say anything about uh, lesbian rights, but you still get the, the right for women to vote or things like that. And like on the one hand, it's great to have something that's better than the, nothing. But then on the other hand, if everybody did that, nothing would change. The system would never break. Um, so I, it's just a really interesting thing that the the show explores. And I really enjoyed watching it. It's slick television. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I got to get more into Hulu stuff. I don't know why it's like on the lower rung of my streaming services. <laughs> and it shouldn't be because there's like, especially with all the FX content that's on there. Um, I really should be getting into it. Yeah, so Miss America is FX Hulu. Uh, I would definitely mm -hmm. recommend that. I don't think I've ever been steered wrong with the FX Hulu stuff. Yeah. Some of the just straight Hulu stuff is a bit hit or miss. I tried to watch Little Fires Everywhere, and that just didn't work for me. Gotcha. Um, I've watched the first couple of episodes of the first season of Handmaid's Tale, but I was like, man, with some of those series that have like three or four seasons in and like they're hour-long episodes, I'm like... I want to make sure that I have enough time to like really, really invest into it. So I got to wait. I heard the great that's a new Hulu drop is pretty good. Yeah, I've heard that um, too. So, uh, but I, I, I've heard even more about Rami and uh, Dave. Is it Dave? Yeah, Dave, the little dicky show. Dave, I've seen and it's fucking hilarious. It is. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. It is absurd. Um I, I don't even, I, you have to be a, a particular type of person to watch it. So, you know, there's just, it's just a ridiculous show, but I, I absolutely loved it. A very different no than Miss America, okay. but yeah, all of these FX Hulu things, fantastic. I do need to check out Rami, uh, and I've heard great things about The Great. The good thing about Miss America, though, is that it is a limited series, so it's done. Uh, okay. Everything's over with it, so it's just a single season. Uh, but yeah, definitely recommend okay, it. I like that. So. There we go. Appreciate it. All right. So this has been our review of Netflix and Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Colby, thank you again for joining me today. Hey, man. As always, I'm greatly appreciative of the time and the invite back. And I'll be back any other time that you need me or want me. Awesome. I will definitely be in touch soon. Is there anything specific that you want to plug here? Um, yeah, you know what? Um, I mean, I've got a gang of a gang of pods coming out. So, I mean, <laughs> if you want to keep up with me and all the other podcasts that I'm on, make sure you're following boy. I am on all the socials at Kobe told me on Twitter and on Instagram. And I'm on Facebook at Kobe Mac. Uh, when I'm in the mood to write, you can check out my words on my website, Kobe told me.com and listen to my podcast. When I'm not guesting on so many others, the Kobe <laughs> told me podcast available on all major platforms. So when they ask you where you heard it from, you tell them Kobe told me. 
I have before and I will continue to do so. <laughs> Yay. Uh, yeah, so I will include all of the links to those in the bio or in the show notes. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMaripod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMaripod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at MovieMarathoners.Podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by Brett Bohan from Bohan's Reviews to talk about, yes, as I mentioned, the newest Disney Plus film, Artemis Fowl. So uh, (laughs) we'll see how that turns out. So stay tuned for that. Until then, bye. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.